Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. The whole world is watching as leaders from all over the globe meet in Glasgow for a two-week global summit on climate change. Of course, it just wouldn't be a climate summit without a sizable delegation from California. And luckily, the Golden State is well represented this go-round. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Benconi, and today on the program, we're going to be talking about what California is bringing to the international climate table and what new inspiration it might take back home once the summit wraps up. For some insights, we're going to be speaking throughout the program with a few Californians who have been working on the climate crisis from a number of different angles, uh, some of whom are actually in Glasgow this very weekend. Uh, Our first guest, though, is actually quite a bit closer to home. Uh, That would be Ken Alex. He is the director of Project Climate at UC Berkeley and has also served as a senior policy advisor on climate and environment under former Governor Jerry Brown. Uh, Ken Alex, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thanks, Keith. Really happy to be here. So uh, hoping to get some high-level perspective from you to start us off, uh, you actually helped organize the uh, 2018 Global Climate Action in San Francisco, have uh, also attended a number of these UN climate summits over the years. Um, So what is the role of California at these international meetings? Uh, Obviously, California is not a nation state in its own right, but uh, fair to say it's become something of a climate leader all the same? Yeah, you make a good point. You know, uh, these are UN-sponsored meetings, so uh, really the only parties to the to the convention uh, are countries. And obviously, California is a state and not a country, so it doesn't have any official role at the COP. But having said that, California has an economy that's larger than all but four other countries, uh, and it's a very diversified economy. Uh, And yet uh, it's been able over the past 15 years or so uh, to reduce its carbon emissions, um, to set goals that it's actually met, unlike uh, some countries. Uh, And it's really been a leader across a whole dynamic of uh, of climate uh, sets of issues uh, from 
from energy to housing to land use, et cetera, et cetera. It's really been a leader. Um, and so at these meetings, California is able to present uh, a lot of what it's done um, and where it's heading. And it has uh, a good blueprint for how the entire economy is gonna reduce its overall global emissions. And a lot of countries uh, wanna meet with California and, and learn from them. And of course, California wants to learn from what's going on in the rest of the world. Right. And uh, you raise a lot of important issues that we're going to dig into a little bit more as this conversation progresses. Also, just want to flag that you uh, referred to the summit as COP uh, or COP26. Just want to let anybody who's not in on the lingo know that that is the acronym for this event. Uh, I guess the full name is the Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Uh, COP works just as well, though, or the International Climate Summit, UN Climate Summit will be referring to them as all throughout the course of this conversation. But uh, up next right now, I actually want to invite on the two guests who are actually in Glasgow at the moment. First up, that would be Daniel Kamen. He is no stranger to the KCBS Airwaves, a professor of energy at UC Berkeley and also an advisor for the U.S. Agency for International Development. Uh, Daniel Kamen, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on. Also welcoming on now, Ellie Cohen. She is the CEO of The Climate Center. That's an advocacy group for climate policy headquartered in Santa Rosa. And we've actually had her on the program a couple of years back. So glad to have you back on, Ellie Cohen. Thank you, Keith. Glad to be here. Starting with you, Professor Kamen, uh, so you've been observing the proceedings in action over the past couple of days during your time in Glasgow. Um, California has sent a sizable official delegation, uh, though with a rather noticeable absence. Uh, Governor Newsom canceled his trip at the last minute. Uh, nevertheless, we're talking about two dozen-ish leaders uh, filling out that official group and then uh, many other Californians as well that are also there observing, contributing in a number of different ways. What is that official group going to be focusing on during the summit? Or uh, I guess um, another way to put it, uh, you know, from a California perspective, what would you say are the most important topics up on the agenda? Well, I would say uh, there's topics across the board. I mean, as Ken said, uh, we are the fifth largest economy. And there are things that California is doing that are really significant in the agriculture space, in the electric vehicle space, which is a very popular topic right now for a whole variety of climate and justice reasons, but California is also a, a key player in terms of partnerships. So California works with a number of, of other major important players. California is a partner with China and China is notably absent uh, at certain levels here right now. But I think the other feature which is really top of the agenda is that climate justice, racial and social justice has become a core issue and California's cap and trade, our market program for curtailing CO2 emissions has become a critical topic worldwide and essentially projects across the entire spectrum from energy to agriculture to food, um, all are being discussed with this lens of racial and social justice. Since California's own cap and trade program actually devotes 35% or more of those funds to marginalized, frontline, disadvantaged uh, communities, it has a really large role to play and talk about what succeeded, what's failed in terms of making justice job one. 
All right. Uh, a lot of important topics uh, there. We'll get into more of them in a bit. Uh, again, that's Daniel Kamen with UC Berkeley. Now turning over to Ellie Cohen, again with the Climate Center. Um, Ellie, hoping you can bring in some of that advocacy perspective to the conversation now. So uh, before Governor Newsom pulled out of the conference, uh, in person that is, um, your group actually sent his office a letter urging him to take even stronger action on climate reductions. Uh, for example, in your letter, you asked him to set a 2030 deadline for the state to achieve 100 percent carbon free electricity. Uh, the current goal set by law is uh, about 15 years later, so 2045. So, you know, for all that we've been talking about California as a climate leader, uh, it seems part of your message there is that the state could be doing more. Yes. Thank you, Keith. Uh, the state definitely can be doing more. We have the know-how, we have the technology, we have the innovation, we have the business base, the economic base. It really is a matter of political will. Uh, to get to 100% clean electricity, we have exceeded our goals to this date and we can do much more. Our goals are too conservative for 2030. Think about where we are now in 2021 in California. In essence, we're ground zero for climate change between these massive conflagrations, the smoke storms, the severe drought, even with the rainfall that we're having. And it's time for us to step up and do what's needed. We can't wait another 15 or 25 years. And uh, in particular, you put forward a, a list of goals that you would like to see the governor adopt. I think probably uh, we, we, we mentioned uh, one of them already, the, the 2030 goal. That's going to seem like a pretty, <laughs> pretty near term to a lot of Californians, a lot of change that would mean in the just the next coming eight years. How realistic is that? How much do you think could be achieved on this uh, global platform in cementing those goals? I, I guess um, what is, in your view, is the work of the next week or so in you know making those goals more uh, attainable and more cemented in the public consciousness? Oh, thanks, Keith. I think that California, as Ken mentioned, is looked up to from uh, other countries and uh, other subnational players like California across the world. And they look to us because we have experimented, we have set the example. But more recently, it's been harder. It's partly been harder because there's a big influence of oil and gas companies and their allies in Sacramento. Uh, even though we have a super majority of Democrats in the state legislature, they tend to all receive, or a vast majority, receive funding from the oil and gas interests, which makes it hard to do what we really need to do. In addition to the very laudable investment of $15 billion in resilience that the governor made happen over the past few months, we also need to begin to truly stop our greenhouse gas emissions. And that means stopping the refineries in California and beginning to phase it out, investing big time in a just transition for oil and gas workers and their families. It means stopping the permitting for new oil and gas infrastructure. The governor did announce a big step in that direction, but it's time for us to ensure that frontline communities, which are mostly communities of color and lower income people, are no longer at the forefront of receiving the negative impacts of our fossil fuel economy and that they also have equal access to solutions. I think that California has the ability to influence the world. And here at COP26 in Glasgow, I'm looking to share what we're doing in California and learn from others. But California has a key role to play in catalyzing others into accelerated, equitable action. 
All right. I'm going to dig into all that in just a couple more seconds, but real quick, want to reintroduce everybody. For anybody just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi. Today, we're talking about California's efforts to combat climate change as a state delegation attends the ongoing U.N. summit in Glasgow. Joining us for that conversation is Ken Alex. He, once again, is the Director of Project Climate at UC Berkeley and direct from Glasgow. We are also joined by Daniel Kamen, Professor of Energy at UC Berkeley, as well as Ellie Cohen, the CEO of the Climate Center, who we just heard from a moment ago. Uh, Ken Alex, turning things back over to you, you, we mentioned earlier in the program uh, that you have attended a lot of these summits in the past, even helped uh, plan uh, one in particular. What can really reasonably be expected to uh, be achieved by all this, in particular by California? You know, we even had a former former California governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, express some doubt about these summits uh, about a week ago in recent days, essentially saying, you know, we've been talking about addressing climate change for so long. And it seems like a lot of these issues still go largely unaddressed. Uh, Does he have something there or is there, you know, something that really can be accomplished? Well, I think it's a, a bit of both. You know, this is, as as uh, you mentioned, this is called COP26. That means it's the 26th meeting, the first <laughs> one, and, and they're only done once a year. And last year they missed, so it's actually been 27 years. Um, but, you know, look, we've made more progress. If you think back 15 years, uh, there was no Tesla, there were no electric vehicles, really. Um, the, the solar industry at large scale was just getting started. Wind was a little further along. So we've made a lot of progress in a lot of ways over the past 15 years. And, and so there, there is some uh, hope that we can continue and, and accelerate, as, as Ellie was just talking about. Um, but it's also the case that uh, there are a lot of nations that uh, want to slow down. Um, Saudi Arabia uh, and the oil producing states don't want to give up their oil anytime soon. Um, there are other countries that uh, are really not interested in making the investments that are necessary. Um, and this is, you know, it's a global challenge um, to work together. Can nations that otherwise are at odds with each other work together in a constructive way to solve a, an existential problem? And you know, one of the reasons that California is important to this discussion um, is, is what's called the scoping plan. It's California's blueprint for how a large sophisticated economy completely revamps and becomes a, a sustainable renewable economy over a fairly short period of time. Um, and, and that is a, a possibility for the rest of the world uh, if they embrace it, but you, you know, Governor Schwarzenegger makes a point. There's a lot of talk. Uh, we need more action. And, and that's the current challenge to really get to implementation. Yeah, and it does seem like a really big challenge. Uh, I know that all of you have put a lot of thought into what confronting that challenge is going to look like. Uh, so, uh, Daniel Kamen, bringing you back into the conversation, once again, professor of energy at UC Berkeley. Uh, my understanding is that you have been presenting on uh, some of the goals that you think uh, California should be adopting, uh, laying out the, the vision for what that would look like. Um, tell us a little bit about what that vision is. You know, if California really does adhere to its ambitions and live up to its lofty promises, what does that look like in the next 5, 10, 15 years? Well, a number of things. So that's right. Um, a, a team of us uh, produced a paper uh, 
former presidential candidate and entrepreneur Tom Steyer was an author, Manuel Pastor, environmental justice scholar at University of Southern California, Tini Matlock, a professor of sociology and a Native American leader at UC Merced. A number of us uh, signed on to a, an analytic piece that also moved clearly into the range you're talking about. What are California's possibilities? So California's current plan is to become carbon neutral and then go carbon negative by 2045. And that was a lofty goal. It was far ahead of the uh, US federal administration. Um, but last uh, couple of years, things have changed very rapidly. New York State has in some ways caught up to us. Uh, Massachusetts just announced that their goal for ending the sale of new combustion vehicles was going to be 2030, whereas California announced back in September 2035. The United Kingdom announced no more, like, no more uh, combustion vehicle sales after 2030 as well. And California, by being racked by wildfires and droughts, is also seeing local immediate damages that moving to a more resilient grid, which means more renewables, more energy storage, so those renewables can be so-called 24-7 or base load or always available. And it also means um, really uh, tightening down the screws on the leaks of methane, uh, natural gas lines leak in addition to the gas that you burn. So you kind of get a double whammy from one of the most potent greenhouse gases. And in addition, California is at the early stages of building out an offshore wind industry. And California um, has proposed to get up to a quarter of its average power from an offshore industry that currently doesn't generate any power. And just to put that in perspective, um, Europe currently generates more energy from offshore wind than we consume. And China is in the same category. They are a larger producer of just offshore wind than we are. But in California's case, because we have such abundant sun and geothermal power and wind power, we have a little bit of a luxury of this excellent renewable energy resource base. And so if we scale up our offshore wind industry now, as has been proposed and as the Biden administration has worked with not only the governor's team that Ken used to be on and the, and the U.S. Navy, that we now have a chance to generate electricity from offshore wind when the demand is high and the prices are high and to generate hydrogen when the demand is low and the prices are low, which is a form of energy storage. And so there are significant things that California can ramp up with a large scale. But the other piece is that California really needs to make the clean energy revolution available to all Californians, not just the affluent and largely white uh, population. So one of the issues here is to invest in energy efficient heating and cooling, such as heat pumps, something that the Biden administration has picked up on, and also to make electric vehicle charging available for people who don't own their own house or their garage or their driveway. And so efforts up and down the, the, the spectrum really reflect opportunities to put social and racial justice at the forefront and to use that not only to provide services to people who have been denied those services, but also to accelerate the state's mandate. And when groups like mine add up all these benefits, we find that actually California will produce more jobs by moving into clean energy, smarter agriculture than we have today. And just to put it in perspective, California already has more people in the solar industry than in all of our utilities combined. So it has done well, but it needs to do much better to get us back ahead of 
the Biden administration. Right now, by some metrics, we trail the federal administration. And that is something I've never seen in my 23 years of being a faculty here in the state. And want to get into some of the challenges that may be ahead for California. But uh, just briefly, uh, Professor Kamen, just to expand on that, uh, one of the points that I found uh, to be uh, pretty striking from the analysis uh, that your group put forward is that the prediction is that the cost of energy actually won't rise that much, uh, even with all these changes over the next 10 years. Well, this is an area where there's contested views because um, where you start really determines how you see this. But the analysis in my lab actually is that the cost of energy, if anything, could fall, not stay even, but actually go down. And that's been backed up by a number of studies. Um, Big effort by the Bloomberg Energy uh, Information Agency in New York found that it's now cheaper to build a new solar or wind power plant than to operate an existing oil, gas, or coal-fired power plant. And we need to add a little more money because we need to add storage, but storage is dropping in price the same way that solar did. And over the past decade, the price of solar has dropped by 90%, and the price of wind has dropped by 60%. And storage, whether it's lithium-ion batteries or a more advanced kind or a different kind called a um, an air battery or a flow battery, these technologies are all coming quickly. And there's every reason to believe that if we keep being a market leader and keep standing up new innovative companies and really enabling them to join the market, that we actually could see rates going down as we move into this clean energy world. And that something is you know, kind of shocking if you back up 10 years when that was not even seen as a, as a possibility. Now it's a very real option, but we have to make it happen. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. One more time, I want to reintroduce everybody. Uh, this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi. Today on the program, once again, we're discussing what it'll take for California to live up to its lofty climate ambitions as a state delegation makes its presence known at the UN Climate Summit in Glasgow. We are speaking once again to Ken Alex. He's the director of Project Climate at UC Berkeley. Also speaking with Daniel Kamen, who we just heard from a second ago, professor of energy at UC Berkeley, and Ellie Cohen, the CEO of the Climate Center. So we have uh, about 10 minutes left in the program. And now I want to go to what is stopping us from doing all that, because, you know, all of that sounds uh, great. Sounds like uh, we we wish we could have done all that yesterday. But uh, obviously we haven't, as we've been discussing throughout the program. And uh, there's a lot of uh, pretty big challenges that are still preventing us from doing so. Uh, and I want to get all of each of your takes on that uh, as, as we kind of round out the program, uh, starting with you, Ken Alex. You know, uh, so we've we've already heard about some of the political challenges to uh, getting some of this done, some of the uh, influence uh, from the energy sector. What, 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 would you, what would you say is making it difficult to realize some of these goals, you know, as appealing as they all are? Well, that's a that's a long conversation. But just, you know, what what strikes me off the top is that, you know, for example, Californians continue to drive 300 billion mile, vehicle miles a year. So uh, getting us off of, uh, of gas and oil is no easy thing to do. Uh, we have 14 million structures built in California. Retrofitting those is no easy thing to do. Um, getting to, to carbon neutrality by even by 2045, uh, you know, uh, we still don't quite know how to do that. We probably need to start integrating a lot more carbon sequestration, both through the, the natural lands and probably uh, directly from the air. Um, so the challenges are, are many, and uh, some of them have been touched on, including finance, uh, political will, um, the ability to, to have uh, politicians uh, look beyond the next election, always a difficult problem. Um, so I, I, there are many, many challenges. Um, I think we have to continue to really focus on solutions that can drive, drive things more quickly. And just to mention one of those, which, which Dan mentioned briefly, um, we're doing quite a lot of work on methane emissions and California uh, is probably the world leader in terms of having one of the only requirements for uh, reducing methane emissions. And that's a place we can make very big pro progress quickly uh, if we focus on it. Yeah. Well, uh, I can tell uh, Ellie Cohen has uh, something that she'd like to add. So I want to uh, bring her back in in just a second. But real quick, want to give uh, Dan Kamen a chance to respond to some of that, because uh, we are getting a slightly different picture there from Ken Alex, uh, stating that even from a technical perspective, there are some of these energy issues and some of these infrastructure issues that uh, we don't quite know how to solve yet. Uh, how does that square with uh, the picture that you were giving us a second ago uh, in terms of, you know, really, we do know how to solve some of the biggest challenges over the next 10 years? 
Well, I think actually Ken and I were really talking about kind of um, a very similar view. Um, Ken, by working in state government, sees a lot of the political hurdles very directly in terms of groups that are balking. He mentioned um, that the, 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 the political challenges are really severe. When, when myself and groups uh, across the state, um, there's a major energy analysis group uh, in San Francisco called E3. There's a group similar to my UCLA. When they do their analyses of what it would take to transform the, end, the electricity sector, we're all more or less in agreement in that the incredible resource that we have in the state of solar and wind and geothermal and now offshore wind is really sufficient to get there. The challenge is that you have to be smart about interconnections. Um, and often that gets directly into the political story. And you also have to, to, to deal with one of those unmet challenges. And that is that many of our solutions empower those that already are well off. And so we tend to make subsidies and programs available to the already rich, and that has exacerbated social and racial divides. And so I would say the technical story always needs improvements, it always needs innovation. But our real challenge is deploying capital and getting companies to see the value of serving underserved communities. And to my mind, that's really the bigger challenge. The other piece, which is a thorny issue and has been a thorny issue for decades, uh, anyone's watched the movie Chinatown knows it, and that is that we have significant issues in terms of land use. Uh, we have a very, very valuable, very, very important agricultural sector. We also have areas where um, we use significant energy for pumping water. We have methane emissions, and Ken has described um, that we are in the lead on that. But these are all areas where we're going to have to not only do the first and second tier things, but the third and fourth tier things that are trickier and more expensive. And it's really putting that package together that's the challenge. And that's why I'm actually so excited, because when the governor, before the recall, said he wanted to, add, to task the state agencies to accelerate the plan from 2045 to 2035, to me, this is a real Rosie the Riveter, yes, we can do it moment, but we need significant integration, and that's hard in, in an economy as large as ours. Yeah. All right. Well, well bringing Ellie Cohen back in, uh, you know, we kind of got a little bit of a back and forth there about uh, what the challenges are going to be. Um, uh, one of the big messages, though, that we just heard from Professor Kamen is that uh, the political will is obviously a huge issue. And uh, here we are, uh, COP26, and Governor Newsom is not there. He's, you know, stated uh, family reasons for why he stayed home, but still his uh, presence is uh, certainly being felt. Uh, I guess uh, you, you you can pick up the, the conversation wherever you see fit, but just uh, it seems like the... Some, some of the signals that we would like to see in terms of political commitment uh, maybe aren't there's, there this go-round. I was uh, personally disappointed that the governor wasn't able to attend, but I don't know what the circumstances are that prevented him. I'm very pleased to see such a large delegation from California. Every person you meet here from all over the world, they want to know what are we doing in California? What has gotten us as far as we have gotten? What are our challenges and how are we overcoming them? And there are some exciting directions that we're going in. What Dan just mentioned, when the governor ordered the California Air Resources Board to assess pathways to carbon neutrality and net negative emissions 10 years earlier by 2035, we are very pleased to see that. That's a start. There's a lot more that needs to be done. The California Public Utilities Commission this year allocated $200 million to establish microgrids. So basically local electricity production in uh, the lowest income communities in California so that they are not negatively harmed by the increasing number of power outages, both planned and unplanned. 
So there, there's some momentum going in the right direction. The challenge is that we have to do it even faster. It's based on the physics and the biology and the chemistry of what we're experiencing with climate change. We can't wait 20 years or 25 years, and even waiting 15 years is pushing it. I wanna just point out one other thing, which is that I've, I'm often asked, what will it cost us to do this? I, we work a lot with businesses across California, and while they are progressive in many ways and support climate action, in the end, just like many of us, we want to know, what will it cost me? And I want to turn that question around and say, what will it cost us if we don't take action at scale now? We know the fires in 2018 that destroyed the town of Paradise. An assessment looking at that, including what it costs on the ground and then beyond throughout the whole supply chain, beyond California, $150 billion. That's almost two thirds of an annual budget. And we're seeing these kinds of fires and destruction yearly now. So we know that if we wait, it will cost. And if we act now, it will cost, but it will cost a lot less if we invest at scale today. Yeah. I want to give the closing thought to Ken Alex, uh, once again, Director of Project Climate at UC Berkeley, also a uh, uh, former advisor to uh, Governor Jerry Brown. So, uh, Ken, Ken Alex, you know, just talking about the political will, do you feel like we are in a circumstance where big action is possible at this moment? I mean, we, we are coming off a year of near record-breaking uh, uh, fires. Uh, we're looking at drought still, despite the recent rains. Uh, so it does seem like Californians are getting a direct experience of the consequence of climate change. How much is that going to matter? How much are things changing right now? So in California, uh, doing something, uh, taking action and, and doing more on climate uh, is a good political issue, uh, at least in, in a lot of parts of California. It's still problematic in uh, much of the Central Valley. Um, and then when you scope out a bit to the United States, I am not aware of a single election that has been changed by the issue of climate change. And that is really concerning. Um, there's an entire political party that still seems to deny the science of climate. Um, and there's incredible inaction at the level of Congress with the possible exception here of the uh, Build Back Better. We'll see how that goes. But until there is more uh, voter concern about this issue, until hurricanes and sea level rise and drought and flooding and everything else translates to votes, um, I'm fearful that that the political will is just not going to be there. It can turn quickly, and that you know that's one of the lessons of the environmental movement back in the 1970s. Um, a couple of senators lost an election on that issue in part, um, and then suddenly it became a much bigger political issue, and more action took place. So I continue to have optimism, but we really need to see some political action, uh, particularly at the national level. I'd say in California, there's there seems to be at least a strong support among the electorate. All right. So some uh, surging ambitions, but also a, a little dose of reality to close out our conversation right there. Uh, we are going to thank all of our guests now, though, as uh, we sign out. We were hearing right at the end there uh, from Ken Alex. He is the director of Project Climate at UC Berkeley. Thank you very much, Ken Alex. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And once again, from the conference in Glasgow, we've been hearing from Daniel Kamen, professor of energy at UC Berkeley, also an advisor for the U.S. Agency for International Development. Daniel Kamen, thanks to you as well. Thanks for having me on. 
And thanks to Ellie Cohen. She is the CEO of the Climate Center. That's an advocacy group for climate policy headquartered in Santa Rosa. Ellie Cohen, thanks so much. Thank you, Keith. It was a pleasure. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.